I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Thomas Boff. I'm the editor of wallsblog.com, a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Winters Football Club. Um, if you'd like to view the site, you can do at wallsblog.com, obviously, or on Twitter at wallsblog or at facebook.com forward slash wallsblog. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. I figure we have to start off with what should be a shocking scoreline, but might not be because we've actually now seen it three times in just the past few years. Uh, but Liverpool ended up beating Bournemouth 9-0, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> again, something that in theory you shouldn't see that often. But I think that's once in three of the last four years now which is pretty wild. Um, last week, we kind of talked about how Liverpool and City seemed to be falling back to the pack a little bit. Uh, I don't think anybody particularly said anything kind about Bournemouth, but do you guys think that this kind of dispels the idea that Liverpool might struggle this year, displays just how much trouble Bournemouth might be in, or was this just one of those weird results, like I've said, that we've seen specifically from Southampton a couple of times already of late? I don't think it's enough in isolation um, for Liverpool to say, well, all's, all's well in that club because obviously they didn't pick up any wins uh, from the three games before it. Um, so in isolation, beating a, a, a Bournemouth team that were coming in off a, a difficult result against Arsenal, low in confidence, uh, I don't think it's enough to say everything's great there. They'll obviously have much tougher tests to come. And, and from watching Liverpool at, at Man United in particular, I felt like you could see that there were there were issues with that with that team. You know, getting the front three right without Mane, getting the balance right still, uh, and then the issues they've got in midfield if they don't get all of their their best players fit. Um, for for Bournemouth, I think it is it is worrying because it's it's been too easy for Arsenal and Liverpool. Uh, it's fine to lose those games, but to lose them in the way they did, I think Scott Park has got to be disappointed. Um, I think they they came up. They didn't exactly fly through the gates to get promoted. It became a bit of a struggle for them at the end, and they haven't really made massive moves in the transfer market. Certainly, nothing like Nottingham Forest have done, obviously. Um, and I, I think they are in for a struggle this season. Um, and I say that with with my team Wolves, obviously going to play Bournemouth in midweek, uh, which is an interesting time to play them. Obviously, Wolves a team that hardly score any goals. Bournemouth a team who can't stop conceding them, so something's going to happen there. Um, which will be um, quite interesting. So, yeah, I do think Bournemouth were a little bit unlucky in the sense that some of those were great strikes from Liverpool and some of the ones were just crosses that dropped just over their defenders' heads. It just seemed like one of those games where everything was flying in for Liverpool. So perhaps there is a little bit of, um, you know, poor fortune uh, for Bournemouth uh, in, in, this, you know, in the scope of the scoreline. 
Um, but but overall, I think um, yeah, it's it, it's it's worse for Bournemouth than it is good for Liverpool. Yeah, so I'm wasn't I'm wasn't and I'm still not that concerned about Liverpool in general. Um, I think they were mostly fine, if not incredible, first two games, and then the game against United, they were not good. But they also played a midfield of Henderson, Elliott, and Milner with their third choice striker. Uh, now, granted. Dropping seven points in the first three games may end up costing them the title or any shot at the title, because City's just that good. Um, so, like, the results are bad. But in terms of just looking forward and how good they are, I I wasn't that concerned, and this obviously helps with not being all that concerned. But that said, I do think it says more about Bournemouth than it does about Liverpool. Um, as I saw him play last week against Arsenal, and that, that first half was about as convincing a first half as a team can put up. And as much as we were definitely, Arsenal were definitely good and forced that, um, a, you cannot have a half that one-sided where it's only one team like making that happen. It also be, the one team has to be very good and the other team also has to be quite bad. Um, and I think Bournemouth have been pretty terrible to start the season. I was, I expected them to go down to begin with. Um, so yeah, I, I think this says a lot more about them than it does about Liverpool, and I think they should absolutely be concerned. Um, I think that they also may have priced this in, at least the club itself may have priced, it's like they're probably going to go down anyway, so I'm not sure if they're necessarily surprised by this, but it's not a good sign. Yeah, they didn't exactly sign the caliber of players that you think would keep them up, although isn't that where Sinesi wound up? Yeah, I do think he's he's quite good, but yeah, I, I think what's really fascinating to me is that Fulham's uh, umbrage with Scott Parker, when he left, was basically that he played too defensively. It was too boring, stuff like that. Uh, and that's certainly not the <laughs> takeaway uh, from the first few matches. It's more that the issue is in the defense. But, yeah, we'll see if they can turn things around. Do, do you think uh, Scott Parker has any chance to, to already be at risk after some big results like that? I, I, don't, I don't think Bournemouth... Um, they, they, you've got to look at what they've done in the market. I think if they'd backed him and brought in some really big, big players and showing you know the the appetite to really make it a full-time stay in the Premier League they could perhaps expect a bit better but I think based on what they've given him and the fact that they you know as I say that they they kind of ended up crawling over the line in a bit in the in the championship last season I don't think they can have too high expectations and it's one of those jobs where they you know who are you going to get who's going to want to go there um, it's a diff- difficult situation. So I think their their best course of action and what they will do is, is stick with Scott Parker and hope, like he kind of did at Fulham the last time they were in the Premier League, they had a bad start, but he did figure it out. And by the end, he had them playing, um, you know, had them kind of sorted out. I think if the season had been a bit longer that season they were in the Premier League, he might have had a chance of, of keeping them up. So, you know, I wouldn't write them off just yet, but I just think the early signs are that it's going to be difficult for them. Yeah, and I mean, you say the defense is a problem, and it clearly is. The attack isn't much better. Uh, I mean, they, they, I know they scored sure. two goals opening day against Villa, but they only got seven shots, and they did two goals off like half an expected goal. So it's just like they're bad on both ends. Um, so as far as um, Scott Parker being concerned, I, I think it, it would not shock me if that happened, but it really does depend on like just what the club's mood is. And again, they may have priced, they may kind of have priced this in. Um, when they came up as they struggled to get over the line. So if they were being very real politique about it, they could have been like, okay, if we stay up then that's kind of found money, but if we go down, that's what we should be expecting and being necessarily okay with that. But, you know, being prepared for that to happen and they may want Parker um, to stick around if that does happen. So I wouldn't surprise me if he went, but also it wouldn't shock me if the club was just kind of, 
this is what this is not surprising and therefore like our expectations haven't changed so therefore why would we change our manager if mm. like nothing has really surprised us yeah, that's fair. And you mentioned the Aston Villa result. Maybe that's who we should actually be talking about um, manager-wise. Just just want to mention that Steven Gerrard might be in trouble just in case he gets sacked tomorrow. And everyone's like, why didn't you talk about it? Because they just largely haven't been good this year. And he was heavily backed. But uh, if that happens, we'll talk about it when it does. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about was a little bit of tactic stuff. So uh, the last time Antonio Conte came to the Premier League, like half the league immediately switched to playing a back three like within a month. Um, with basically the thinking being that if you use a back three, it's the best way to counter other systems that use a back three. Uh, and I just noticed that we've now hit 11 clubs on the season that have already tried a back three at least once at some point this year. Do you think this is, again, a response to Conte? Is this just a general trend in football? Or do you think this is more of a reflection of the players that are available at those clubs and maybe the prices that it takes to bring in like a midfielder or a defender as opposed to a striker? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, Wolves played a back three up until the start of this season, you know, four seasons in the Premier League. Um, and you, you did find that a lot of teams who you came up against would match up the system, um, you know, to combat the threats uh, that Wolves have got. And yes, I mean, I think it's probably a similar thing with Tottenham. I think people will think, you know, to 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 stand toe to toe with them, we need to adjust. We don't feel comfortable enough in that shape because the the thing with the back three is it gives you that tremendous amount of width, um, and it can also give you kind of superiority in the midfield depending on what you're doing ahead of that back three. Um, so it it does provide a couple of things. And I think it, it's it's also a comfort for teams. I think if they the Premier League is as much about winning games as about uh, not losing them. And I think there's a trap that a lot of teams fall into in thinking that if we just don't make any mistakes and we keep a compact shape, we will probably get a chance. So it's a good way to potentially um, pick up a good sequence of results. And I think we've seen teams do that. Everton are a prime example. I think Lampard, um, in, in taking Connor Cody from Wolves and, and bringing in some new centre-halves, he's thinking, well, OK, if I can get that solid foundation then maybe it's not going to be as much of an issue if we're not banging in the goals um, at the other end because obviously they sold Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin's been, been out. So that they're, they're thinking, let's let's concede zeros and ones and we're going to give ourselves um, a chance in games. And I think for the majority of teams, that is the reason uh, they do default to that, that formation because when Nuno was at Wolves, he always said that. That was one of his mantras. If we're conceding zeros or ones... Um, we're going to be all right because you're always going to create a chance. doesn't matter how poor you are in attack, you will get chances in games. Um, and that that worked for us for, for a long time. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's probably more about teams adopting more cautious strategy than it is about, you know, changing to, to suit opposition. Yeah, I think it's more of a general trends thing than a reaction to Conte. I think if, if you would like, if you'd seen back three entirely disappear when Conte left and then totally reappear when he came back, then you could more attribute to him. I think it's mm. more of just a general trends in football thing. Um, as as you say, matching or matching a back three with a back three of your own is fairly is a reasonably effective way to neutralize it, if not have a big advantage against it. Um, and then also just a more general football thing. Uh, I think having more generations of kids where uh, center backs being able to play football at the feet is the expectation rather than the exception it means there's a little less um, penalty for putting that extra defender back there. You lose a little less 
Uh, and then also if we, the way the role of fullbacks has changed where it's so physically intensive, being able to get them that extra bit of cover and being able to position them a little higher up the field just as their default position, I think helps helps fullbacks a little and it helps you create that little like three, two, five shape. Lots of teams like to make an attack with the ball. Um, so I, I think it's more of a general trends thing um, than a reaction specifically to Conte. And I would not be surprised if we see it a decent amount, but also I don't, I don't think it's necessarily because of any one person. Yeah. When you guys face teams like this, and I guess Thomas, you already addressed this and also played a back three against Tottenham when we played you, even though that hasn't been, uh, I've been setting up this whole time. Do you think that you will try to match it when you're faced with it? Or do you think you'd much rather stick with your typical philosophy or, or style of play? Um, I think for Wolves specifically, Bruno Large has tried, is really pushing hard to get to get this this four back four working properly and functional. Um, what, what Wolves are doing is they're playing a back four, but when we're out of possession, you know, the two midfielders drop very deep. And even in possession, Ruben Neves is almost dropping into that quarterback role in between the centre halves to try and give us those diagonal passes that you can get from the, the central defender that Connor Cody did so well for Wolves for so many years. Um, so they, he's trying to take the best aspects of a, of a back three, um, but then finesse it into something that, that's a bit more attack minded. Obviously, so far, it hasn't worked very well for Wolves because we're not scoring any goals still. Um, and uh, we do look a little bit more open at the back. So, um, so I mean, I'm fairly confident. I think in getting rid of Cody, allowing him to go to Everton, that suggests that he's not going to lean on the crutch of, you know, I'll go, I'll crawl back into a, a back three if it's not working very well. Because otherwise, you know, it's a no-brainer to keep him, to keep your captain at the club and think, OK, if things don't progress well in this transition, I'll lean back on that. But he hasn't done that. Um, so my thought is he, he's going to stick with the back four. Uh, yeah, I don't. I definitely don't expect us to start matching teams here and there. I just um, that doesn't seem like that's what Arteta wants to do. I think he wants the team to be a bit more proactive than reactive. I think he wants it's you know as when trying to make the best team you can be, he wants it to be more we set the agenda than that we react to other teams. Um, so I don't expect that to be the case. And I, I think we probably do have the personnel to do it. Um, but I would rather just stick with um what we've been doing because it's i think we we can we have the ability to kind of set the tempo against a large number of the teams in the league sure um and now that we've seen a few uh matches from our teams already i guess you both have already touched on it a little bit but have you seen any surprising tactical uh changes in in your club start or or any interesting squad choices either up or down um, not really. I mean, I think I think for Wolves, there's there's kind of a, there's a big adjustment because we've changed right down the kind of spine of the team. We brought in Nathan Collins from Burnley. Uh, we brought Nunes in from Sporting Lisbon. We brought Guedes in from Valencia. So right down the team, that they've, they've, there's a lot of change generally. So I think it's more about um, you know bedding those players into the team and finding patterns of play that work. Um, so I think Wolves are very much in transition. You know, we've already touched on the formation, but that you know, the changing, getting these players who need to be key personnel for us, getting them into the right places on the pitch, um, and understanding you know how they work in conjunction with the players we've already got. So, so yeah, it is, it is interesting for us, but um, but I wouldn't say there's anything particularly startling or surprising. Um, there's a couple of players again that the ongoing conversation about Dharma Troy 
what's he going to do? You know, he played very well for us in the League Cup in midweek, and then he was no new substitute today. Questions over why he isn't being used more when we're struggling to score goals. Um, and again, you know, the transfer window is rapidly approaching its conclusion. Is he still going to be here? So there's, there's, I still feel for Wolves that the the bottom line is I think there's going to be some ins and outs before the end of the the window, and it's just all got to kind of settle down a bit, really. Yeah, so we had one very specific, uh, interesting tactical role, which is uh, Zinchenko, who is, um, he's a left back, but he does not play like left back at all in possession. Um, he, in possession, he's, he's an inverted fullback, and he really, he, instead of the, tr- the classic, you know, get o- get overlapping, get the byline, putting crosses thing that you expect fullbacks to do, he basically just sits in as another six, or sometimes he goes a bit forward, so he's closer to an eight. Um, in possession where he'll just sit next to the whoever defensive midfielder is on the day um, and then kind of sit back there and dict- and be a platform for the attack rather than do the normal fullback thing of, you know, overlap and kind of combine with the winger. Um, it's very, very different from, especially, specifically Kieran Tierney, our other left back, uh, and just generally different from what left backs normally do. So that's been, it's very interesting role. I think it's worked really, really well. I think uh, Martinelli has been off to a fantastic start of the season, I think, Sinchenko has a lot to do with that. Uh, that side kind of lacked, lacked a little, almost like passing volume last year, and like like technical their technical consistency. Uh, and Zinchenko brings both of those by a lot, and kind of lets lets Martinelli get a bit further forward. He's still technically pretty good, but he's not like elite technically, and I think Zinchenko is elite technically and kind of makes up for that. Um, and he's. I think he is in a very big part of why Martinelli started the season so well and why our left-hand side has looked so much more effective than it did um, last season. Gotcha. All right. Well, then we'll take a quick break and then come back with questions for each of our guests. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back. Thomas, we'll start off with you talking about Wolves. Uh, you kind of mentioned there at the end of the last section about all the, the incomings that you've had at the club. Unsurprisingly, some of them are, are Portuguese or have connections to the Portuguese league. Uh, and I was just kind of wondering what your thoughts on that turnover was. Obviously, last year was the shift away from Nuno to a new manager, as you were saying, a new style of play. Now you're bringing in new players. Do you feel like this is kind of a changing of the guard from from kind of the air quotes old Wolves? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is the intention because we brought Bruno Large in last last year and it seemed like he was asked to play with Nuno's players and in Nuno's system because the players he had couldn't adapt to to anything else. And he did a good job there. It, it tailed off at the end of the season, but we were in the conversation for Europe quite quite far into the season. So 
that was kind of a resounding success for him. Um, and then, yes, in the summer, we moved on five or six players and, um, you know, they've brought in big money, you know, Guedes, 30 million, Nunes, 40 million, Collins, 20 million. They've spent, they've backed him in the market to form his team. Um, so I think what we're, what's emerging now is Bruno Large's team. Um, but if I'm honest, I think he's already one of the managers who's, who's going to be under pressure because I think today, not beating Newcastle, that made it, I think, 12 games in the Premier League, 11, maybe 11, 11, 11, 12 games in the Premier League without a victory, if you count the end of last season. So that's not really acceptable. We know how that normally ends. Um, so he is under pressure to get results. And I think the ownership will be thinking, you know, we have backed him now. We've, we've got players. And also they've retained players. Touchwood, Neves is still there. Uh, Traore is still there. Uh, Neto is still there. Been linked with Arsenal, obviously, as Dan will know. Um, so they've kept hold of key players and they've brought in some very good ones. So I think there's an expectation uh, that it needs to be better than what we've seen so far. Gotcha. Well, it's really interesting what we've seen thus far, because one of the things I noted in the Tottenham match, and then it <laughs> didn't particularly stop today or, or at any other point this season, is how much possession you hold. Currently top five in the league in possession. But it kind of feels like we've passed the period where everyone just assumes that if you dominate possession that you're going to win the match. This isn't Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool era anymore. So I was just curious your thoughts on on that, that you are currently top five in possession, but maybe the results haven't come with it. Yeah, I mean, I think from a Wolves fan's perspective, there's a frustrating pattern emerging of having the ball, you know, lots of nice, neat possession, a lot of side to side, um, but just not penetrating defences, not not creating clear enough chances and just not scoring enough goals. I mean, possession gives you a foothold in the game and it, and it, and it allows you to build, um, but you've got to do something with that. I think as we, we kind of touched on, um, teams go into back threes because they're, they're switched on. I think I've watched Tottenham a lot of times look second best in terms of just having the ball and, and passing it, but then they're effective when they do have the ball. Mm. And ultimately, the goal is to score goals, isn't it? And not concede. So be solid, um, you know, in defence and, and, and create chances and score goals at the other end. What you do in the middle, it doesn't really matter. So I think it has been proven that possession is, uh, is, is a secondary uh, statistic but, I mean, I think where possession becomes interesting is when you get to the Man City and Liverpool levels where they're getting 75% of the ball. That, that's, a different, that's a different thing. You know, I think 60%, 65% isn't necessarily indicative when you, you think of the split. It just means that they've had a bit of the ball. That can mean side-to-side in defence, can't it? it? It's not. You tend to find that when, when a team is really dominated, like, like those top two tend to do, it is into the mid-70s possession. So that is where... That's at a level where it's a, it's an aggressive use of the ball, isn't it? They're dominating so much of it that it suggests that the other team has become passive um, to having the ball. So it's only one team creating chances. So I, I don't read too much into it. Um, I, I, I would prefer we like past seasons where we've had 35, 40% of the ball and we were nicking goals and, and, and playing effective counter-attacking football. Um, so, yeah, so I, I don't I don't read too much into that. But, um, you know, it's 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 nice, but it, it, it's not really not telling. Gotcha. And then the last one for me is about the attacking group where you mentioned you've added to that group already. Um, you are finally healthy, it seems, with both Bodens and Neto. Um, you still have Raul Jimenez, obviously, uh, played. It looked like he had scored the, the second for you, but then it was chalked off. 
Um, like you said, you still have Adama. There's just a lot of players up there. Like in your mind, what is the best version of your attacking group? I think the problem is um, is that number nine position uh, because Raul Jimenez, since that head injury, is not the same effective uh, forward, centre forward that he was before. It's as simple as that. I mean, I think the statistic, I was looking at this the other day, um, and nine of the 40 Premier League goals Raul scored were with his head. And since he's come back from his injury, he hasn't got any headers. None of his goals have been headers. So I think when you've got a player who's over a quarter of his goals prior to injury were were headed goals, and now he's not scoring any, that is telling. And I don't think it's a case that we're not putting crosses in. I think it's that he's not getting in the area and attacking them. So I think even though we've got an abundance of riches in those wide areas and those out-to-in forwards who are all internationals and, and good players, we just haven't got that number nine, and we've been linked with, um, you know, a, a, for, a centre forward from from the Bundesliga, who's hopefully going to come uh, before the window shuts. And I think it's absolutely paramount that we get him in. I don't think it's the end for Raúl Jiménez, but I do think we need support. I don't think he can be the guy we're leaning on to get 15 plus Premier League goals. I just think it could tie it all together if we had someone who could hold the ball up, you know, unsettle centre backs, and allow those outside players to just profit a bit more in and around the penalty area gotcha well we'll see how that attack develops throughout the year as you know at the end of last season i was one of the ones banging the drum for you guys to get european football and everybody kept telling me that the attack wasn't strong enough and ultimately that kind of ended up being yeah, the case were, you were wrong they were right <laughs> dang it um and then we'll come to you now to talk about arsenal whose attack has not been an issue thus far uh, on last week's show, we were talking about just how high you could achieve, because obviously last weekend you ended the week top of the table. Um, and there were some conversations about, you know, probably comfortably a favorite for a top four spot. And then the aforementioned talk about Liverpool uh, and City coming back to the group and whether or not Arsenal would compete at that level. Obviously, the schedule hasn't been super difficult thus far, but I just wanted to know uh, from a fan perspective, how much fun have you been having with this start to the season and how much are you expecting now? It's been a lot of fun, but we've been like look great. Um, it's probably the most, the best football we've played since the first half of the last Wenger year, and that was obviously like unfortunately, um, all the last couple of Wenger years were marred by the fans being, you know, ups, just generally frustrated all the time. Um, so this is probably more enjoyable than that because we don't deal with that part of the whole thing. Every everyone seems very bought into the team. The team is playing extremely well as you say, not against particularly difficult competition. So that should be noted. But um, still, the half the battle is beating bad teams consistently. And to get 12 points from Palace away, uh, Leicester at home, Bournemouth away, and um, Fulham at home is, I would probably have expected nine or 10 points out of those three games, and we got 12. So, you know, above expectations is good. Um, and honestly, if I, if I thought more of Leicester, you'd probably maybe even expect a little lower, but I, the vibes there are terrible. So I... Not sure how they're going to do, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, yeah, Gabriel Jesus is incredible. He looks so good. He's so much stronger than I expected. That's been like the one, the one most striking takeaway is he uses his body so well to create space and like keep space, and he's so strong. He's just bodying that like people who are much taller than him consistently. Um, so yeah, it's it's certainly a lot of fun. What do I what do I expect? I'm not sure. I I have. I think I picked us fifth, but I thought we could very reasonably finish anywhere between third and sixth. Um, 
my expectation may have gone up a little bit where I think sixth is less likely now, but I'm not sure the third to fifth has changed a whole lot. I think we do still, well, we'll see how the Western window goes. Um, there's only a few days left, but I think we're probably short in midfield and maybe in like one, one midfielder and one attacker um, with the ridiculous schedule that's going to happen. Grant, it's going to happen for every team, but, but um, just with all the weirdness uh, with the World Cup, we're going to be playing a lot of games, and I'm not sure we're all that deep. Um, and it, uh, one very interesting thing to watch this season is under Arteta, we've never been particularly good without the first 11 available. Um, mm. Even against Fulham, you kind of saw a little bit of that because um, Elneny had to start as defensive midfielder and Zinchenko was out. Now, granted, the guys missing were, they kind of did the same thing, so that made that, made that problem even worse. I think if one of them was there, um, then it would have been not so noticeable so that's you know take take that into account but um we've never been particularly good without the first 11 available that's something very much that i would everyone to watch see how we do when like one or two people are missing and see if we can keep that kind of level performance up because that would be a big corner to turn um i'm not sure we've turned it we'll see we guys we haven't got the chance to see whether we have or not that's going to be a big deal and then whether our depth will hold up is going to be a big deal um but i mean hey I, i have no complaints so far we look great yeah, I imagine we are to have many complaints at it's this stage. Pretty unfair to complain right now. <laughs> yeah, um, we've both alluded to the easy schedule, so let's let's dive into that a little bit. I think the two different thoughts that I have in my head when I think about Arsenal's easy schedule is, one, they beat teams that they're supposed to beat, and eventually they'll face teams that they aren't supposed to beat and that they won't. But also, you're building a lot of confidence right now. Like, you talked about how happy you are. The vibes seem to be all good. That Saliba song will not stop, and I have to mute matches whenever stop. you're playing. It will never stop. <laughs> I know. Never get away from it's it. Very, he'll retire, and you'll still do it. But um, yeah, I was just curious. Arsenal which... and Spurs will be playing at the same time, and you'll be watching the Spurs game. And, I'll uh, still hear it. and you'll hear it in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess that's, that's kind of the big question on this easy start. Do you think it is just all confidence building, and that now by the time you face teams that are going to be more difficult that you'll have all that positive momentum going into it to overcome something like that or are you just kind of thinking these are points that were on the board maybe before the season even started so i think it is building confidence and that helps but also as we both said it's an easy schedule but four wins in a row against any teams even the four worst teams in the league um especially when you're alternating home and away is not a given it's hard to Mm. win four games in a row um like you know, stuff happened. It is, this isn't a what's I don't remember who the old analyst used to be, but it was like they would pick every every individual game and they play, used to play for Liverpool and they would have Liverpool being like 26 wins, 12 draws, stuff like they would never, ever lose because mm-hmm. every game in isolation is you think of it as that specific game. But when you drew like a, a sample size of like you know, five to seven games, you're not going to win all five to seven, even if you're favored in each individual one. Like even if you have like a, you know, a 65 percent chance to win each game. Well, you do, you're in a 65% chance five times over. You're probably not going to win them all. So, like, just even against easy teams, and that Palace game is also that Palace are, I think they're fairly good, and winning an away game to that little, that secondary pack below the top six, that little, like, 7 to 12 range, winning an away game to that is those kind of teams is never easy. I think that's where Palace are. So, as I would not say, like, if you asked me, how many points I thought we were going to get from the first four games, I would have probably said nine to 10 um, because as much as in each of those individual games, I'd say we're favorites. It's just very hard to win four games in a row. These are very like the Premier League is full of very good teams. That just doesn't happen very often. So 
as much as it has to be taken into account that they were easy games when we're talking about like our Arsenal title contenders, I don't think we are. Um, but it also shouldn't be discounted like, oh, those were easy points. They're gonna, oh, it's always going to happen. Like, that's not really how this works. Winning four games in a row against anyone is extremely difficult. Um, so I think it is going to build confidence, I think. But also oh, banking 12 points, uh, even from fairly easy games, is just a very big deal. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, also, you were talking about potentially trying to bring in more attacking players, maybe a midfielder. A player that kind of has filled both roles for you in the past is Emil Smith-Rowe, who got the 10 shirt last year, was supposed to be part of this like up-and-coming youth revolution at Arsenal. Finding it harder to get into the team these days, do you think that that'll change once the fixtures start coming so quickly that he'll just get his minutes, or has he dropped pretty significantly down the pecking order? Yeah, he'll definitely get minutes once we have to start rotating. I think a big thing is we've kind of been more 4-3-3 than 4-2-3-1-y, and he's more of a 10 than anything else. Um, Odegaard has kind of been, he's been playing as an eight for a while, or, you know, it's positions are fluid and weird, but, you know, he's been closer to an eight than a 10 for probably the last eight, like six, eight months. Um, and Smithrow doesn't do quite as well in that position. He's not, he doesn't quite have the volume passing that, that, um, Odegaard does. He's not quite as good deep, but he's also not really a winger. Um, so I think he's just the position has been a bit. He's he, we've played him as an eight next to Odegaard a couple of times. It just hasn't worked. Um, so I think that's been the big, the reason he's not gotten into the team as much lately. Um, he's been more super sub guy than um, starter, which I mean, not the worst thing to have. Um, I don't think it's like he's fallen out of favor or done anything bad. He just doesn't. He hasn't fit in quite as well as he did when you're we playing four two three one all the time. Um, and also, like the rise of Martin Odegaard has been a has been a problem for him. Um, it's blocked it's blocked quite a few minutes because Odegaard has just taken up another couple of levels, um, which means there's fewer minutes for uh, Smith Rowe because you want to have someone with a bit more defensive uh, stability next in that in that mid- if one of those midfielders is already Odegaard, then you want to have someone with a bit more um, defensive stability about him than uh, Smith Rowe does have. Gotcha. All right. Well, then we'll go from there into player watch. We're kind of going to be addressing a similar situation, which is uh, which positions at your club do you think you most need to address here before the window closes on Thursday? Yeah, not a lot of um, surprises for me, Kev. Say centre forward. Um, yeah, well, I, I've touched on it before. They need they need a big target man, someone who who can get in the area. Um, and yeah, that that is does seem like Wolves are circling on on that 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 kind of target. So that that is good news. There's there's alignment between the supporters and what we're seeing and and what the club can can identify that we need. Um, there's also talk that we're bringing in another central midfielder, which has set alarm bells ringing amongst a few people that maybe there might be a sale uh, with with Neves linked with with moves away. You know, Arsenal, uh, Man United, particularly Liverpool this week, Klopp saying they need a midfielder. We've done business with them before, so there's a little bit of a worry there. But but the the the, the noise is that we're going to bring in a midfielder to give us even more kind of mobility and legs in the midfield and uh, a centre forward to get on the end of things in the penalty area. And they would be welcome additions because I think that that's what we need. We need to get, while we're shifting to this this formation, um, we, we need those ingredients. We need a bit more power in the team. And I think if we can get that, that, that might see an upturn in results. Do you think it'll happen? Do you think you'll be able to bring in a striker there? 
I think so, yeah. I mean, the, the guy's name is escaping me. It's Sasa Kalajic, is it? Austri- he's an Austrian footballer, uh, and he's playing for Stuttgart. And apparently he was left out of his their team because there's a there's a an, an offer from Wolves imminent and the personal terms have been agreed so it, it does seem like that that's happening and the, and the midfielder who is a, another Triore helpfully um uh that, that that's another one with Mets that, that's been agreed so these things look like they're happening that the the reliable sources that normally report on these deals are reporting on them so yeah it does seem like we're going to do business so hopefully we get those players in and then we pull up the drawbridge and don't lose anyone. That's the, uh, that's the thing. Cause I mean, there has been talk of Arsenal circling on Neto. Um, you know, he was rumored to be their top target if they could offload Pepe and Pepe's obviously gone now. So maybe, you know, there is an offer coming in there. So I don't know. My feeling is something's going to happen uh, in terms of outgoings at Wolves this week. So we will see. Gotcha. And then, Dan, any of those positions you mentioned you think will get addressed here? I think the most likely one to get addressed is attacker. Um, as uh, Thomas said, we have been linked quite heavily with Neto. Uh, we've kind of been linked with uh, with some wingers, uh, all transfer window. It was Rafinha earlier. Um, and Nicholas Pepe just went out on loan. Um, so I think we are, that seems, that's probably the most likely one to be addressed. I think defensive midfielder might actually be more needed. Um, I don't think Elneny is a is a good enough as a second choice defensive midfielder. I think he can like kind of do a job, eat some Europa League minutes, but if he has to step in long term, I think we lose a lot there. Um, so that's actually probably the one position I would I'd rather us fill. But I think if well, the one that's most likely is probably winger, if we if any gets filled at all. Gotcha. All right, well, we'll wrap up here with match previews. Obviously, this is the the first week of the season where we already have midweek matches. That's why deadline day is Thursday, not Wednesday, after all. Uh, We'll start off with you, Thomas, going to be facing the Bournemouth side that we mentioned at the top of the show are not playing particularly well at present. Yeah, it's it's a big game for both teams for for different reasons, isn't it? I think Bournemouth have got to reestablish themselves after that, that good victory over Villa on the opening day. I think they've got to show that they can be competitive as a minimum, and um, you know push push a, a decent side in walls to uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. Put um, you know, and for, for walls, they've got to show that they can they can score goals. You know, against a team that have conceded nine in their last game, it's not going to be a good look for wolves if they go there and draw another blank. Uh, particularly if they don't you know get get a result and we, we get sent packing. So I think there's a lot on that game. Uh, obviously, a low-profile one. The last one they'll probably show on uh, Match of the Day in the UK. But um, but yeah, important, important. And I, as much as I feel negative after how we played against Newcastle today, because I don't think it was a good performance from Wolves uh, today. But I do hope that we're going to go there and, as you said, kind of have a lot of the ball, but also create chances and, and hopefully just overwhelm them. Um, because I think we have got more quality. And those players, they, they have to start delivering now. And Dan, we literally mentioned two names of managers that might be in trouble in Arsenal get to face the other one. And Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa, I assume you're similarly confident. Yeah, I mean, we have the extra rest day, which helps as well. Um, but yeah, but uh, Villa have not looked great this season. Uh, as you said, lost to Bournemouth. Even if, 
you know, they didn't actually concede that many shots. They didn't do much in attack either. That's kind of been the issue of Gerard's um, Villa, from what I've seen, is they, they're fairly good defensively. They have never really put together a particularly strong attack. Um, beat Everton, but again, not that convincingly. Got beat pretty handily by Palace, and now lost to West or to um, yeah West Ham earlier today. Um, it's at home. We I think we're better. It's going to be interesting to see if Sinchenko is back. I don't know how it sounded like it was just like a tweak, um, which made him miss. But you know that's not a very not a very specific injury for where I have a good idea of the recovery time. So him being back, um, I think would give me a lot more confidence. Um, but I'm still fairly confident that we should. I mean, you know, if we if we've had this great start, um, we if we are this good, then um, I would I would like to be able to think we can beat Villa um, fairly handily, even with um, one or two first team players missing, considering they just they have not looked particularly good this season. Gotcha. Uh, well, we've kind of raced through this one, not even at 40 minutes yet of record time, but uh, we've kind of come to the end anyway. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, guys. Um, as always, I'm just duking it out, previews and match reports for all the um, Wolves games. So if, you're, if your team's playing Wolves or you're a Wolves fan, uh, you check out wolvesblog.com. So we'll be talking about your team and obviously a lot about Wolves. Um, and also we're on we're on Twitter promoting all that stuff and, and on Facebook too uh, at forward slash walls blog on both of those platforms. Yeah, still Dan, you can still get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits where I will be continuing my campaign for a lay Williamson reaction camp at every Arsenal game. I don't know if anyone saw that, um, but uh, the women's team was there at the Arsenal Fulham game and they panned to them a couple of times and lay Williamson had incredible reactions every time because she's great. <laughs> we've talked about women's football on the podcast before uh not in that exact regard but <laughs> i'm glad that, that has brought you joy uh i'm your host kevin DeVries. you can find me on twitter at kevroff you can find the show at epl roundtable uh thanks to these two for joining me today folks at home we hope you keep listening When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.